Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, St. Benedict was born into a wealthy, aristocratic Italian family near the end of the 5th century. Uh, But when he was a young man, his parents sent him away to school in Rome. Uh, He was shocked by what he saw in this city. Several decades earlier, the Visigoths had invaded Rome. They had sacked Rome. And so the, the city was still pretty much a mess. Uh, Political chaos and intrigue, sexual immorality, greedy materialism, uh, everybody living for the moment, pretty much like our culture today. St. Benedict was a Christ follower at this time, and he finally concluded that it was going to be pretty difficult to faithfully follow Jesus in the midst of secular Roman society. And so he moved 40 miles east of the city where he started a community along with other young men, a monastery, if you would, with other young men who wanted to escape the world and its corrupting influences. In fact, over the course of his life, St. Benedict then went on to start a dozen, 12 different communities, um, and he became famous for writing a 70-page manual on how to live in Christian community called The Rule of St. Benedict. You can still get a copy if you want one on Amazon. So my question for you today is this, what do you think about St. Benedict's approach to the world and its corrupting influences? Okay, what do you think of that approach? Isolation, withdrawal, quarantine, if you would. We all know the word quarantine these days. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, what is the best approach to the world? Now, interestingly, the the Bible uses the word world in two very different ways. On the one hand, it uses the world to speak of those corrupting influences that St. Benedict wanted to escape. 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16 say, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world... Namely, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The Apostle Paul offers a a similar warning in Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Okay, don't don't conform to this world's standards. So, So the world is something for Christ followers to distance themselves from, right? Yes. However, there's a second way in which the Bible uses uh, that phrase, the world. And it's best, uh, best shown in the familiar verse, John 3.16. I've got John 3.16 tatted on this arm. Yesterday, they were drawing blood from me, and the phlebotomist stuck her needle right in the middle of John 3.16, which gave me an opportunity to say, you know what that verse says? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves this world of spiritually lost people, people who are headed toward eternal destruction. That's why Jesus was sent to rescue us. 
So I think it's safe to assume that if we, ought, if we want to follow Jesus, we too ought to love the world and desire to see its people saved for all eternity. Two very different views of the world. The world is to be avoided at all costs. The world is to be loved and its people rescued. So today we're going to take a look at an Old Testament character by the name of Abraham who beautifully modeled what it's like to hold in tension, to hold in, in a healthy balance these two views of the world. So if you brought a Bible with you or if you're watching online, would you grab a Bible now and turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. It's easy to find, first book in your Bible, and welcome to week one of a four-part Bible Savvy series. And let me just remind you what Bible Savvy is all about. Okay, Our mega goal as a church this year our biggie goal is Bible every day, and by that we mean we understand the Bible to have a transforming impact on our lives, and so we want to see everybody who attends Christ Community Church jump into the Bible, become a, an everyday Bible reader. And so there are several things that we've done to motivate you to move in that direction. One of them is we've, we've printed a four-year Bible reading schedule that requires about 10 to 15 minutes of Bible reading every day and will take you through God's entire word over the course of four years. And you could get that, that schedule, you could get it uh, online at ccclife.org, you could get it on our CCC app. We encourage you to pick up a copy of that schedule and begin to follow along in God's Word. But that's not all. Now, we've also put together a journal, a place where you can record an insight every day. Hey, this is what I learned from my reading today. Just a, a couple of lines. If you're into to, to pen and paper, you can get a hard copy of that journal. If you wanna, want it electronically, again, you could find it on our phone app, on our website. Uh, we have these journals for children called the Epic Journal. In fact, during the week, our programs for children and middle school and high school students all revolve around the Bible-savvy reading schedule. We're taking our young people through the Scripture along with us. But that's not all. We're also encouraging our groups, our community groups. We've got 300 and some community groups, Bible studies for men and women and couples and so on. We're encouraging as many group leaders as possible to consider using the Bible-savvy reading schedule as their weekly curriculum. So the group is reading scripture together and discussing it and applying it to their lives. But that's not all. We've also got a podcast once a week. A couple of our pastors sit down and they record a podcast that takes that week's readings and makes them into applications so you could see how it's done. How do you move from text to real life? But that's not all. Periodically over the course of this year, uh, we're going to do one-shot seminars on books of the Bible that are really strategic and important for us to understand. So Pastor Clayton just did one of these seminars, took us through the book of Genesis. Over 200 people watched on Zoom. Terrific seminar. Keep your ears open for those. But that's not all. You know, a couple of times a year, what we do is we drop into whatever passages are being covered in our reading, and we use those passages for a weekend series. And that's what we're doing right now. The reason we're in Genesis looking at Abraham is if you're following the Bible-savvy reading schedule, that's where our schedule's at. So you're, you're going to be reading this week some of the same passages that we'll be studying in depth today. The Bible every day. 
You know, you, you don't have to grab hold of everything I just described, but at least, at least pick up a Bible-savvy reading schedule and start reading God's Word each day. So today we're jumping into Genesis 13, the story of Abraham and how he takes on the world. That's what we're calling this. Abraham takes on the world. We're going to learn three lessons on how to deal with the world. So here's lesson number one. If you're following along electronically, I hope you'll check out. We've you know, got on the app the outline, and you could fill it in as we go along. Lesson number one, how do you treat the world? Keep a safe distance. Keep a safe distance. Now, here's some quick backstory to Abraham, who is called Abram at the beginning of the story. Uh, he was asked by God to move from his hometown of Ur to the land of Canaan, hundreds of miles away. So God had a plan, and his plan was to make out of Abraham and his descendants a, a great nation, a nation that would be a blessing to the entire world by bringing the world the good news of the one true living God. And so the plan began by God relocating Abraham and 75 of his relatives to the land of Canaan. Now, one of the relatives who figures prominently in the story is his nephew, grown nephew Lot. Lot is the foil in this story. You know your lit literature, you know what a foil is? Uh, Abraham serves as a good example. Uh, Lot is the bad example in the story. He's the foil. So Abraham, Lot, the rest of his relatives, they moved to Canaan. Abraham and Lot prosper greatly. Their flocks and herds and possessions all grow. But before long, they're kind of stepping on each other's toes. There's not enough room for them. And so this is where we pick up the story. Their workers are duking it out with each other. So Abraham comes up with a suggestion. Verse 8, if you're following along, of Genesis chapter 13. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Well, Lot looked around, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan, that is the Jordan River, toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. We're going to stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for your holy word. So Sodom and Gomorrah, they got a reputation, right? They're notorious as being wicked cities. They, they represent the world at its worst. In fact, we read in Scripture uh, in other passages that Sodom and Gomorrah were, were known for their perversity, for their sexual immorality. They, they were known for their mistreatment of the poor, uh, their social injustice, if you would. Okay, and this is where Lot pitches his tent, near Sodom. In, in fact, he doesn't just move near Sodom. In the next chapter, we, we learn in chapter 14, verse 12, that he, he moves into Sodom. 
And then he takes it a step further than that. By the time you get to chapter 19, we find that he's now sitting daily in the city gates. Well, the city gates are where the rulers, the leaders of the city, conducted their business. So he's now helping to run the place. See, Lot got closer and closer and closer to the world in the bad sense of the word. And that led to disaster. Now, we don't have time to read the passage about the disaster, but let me just sum it up for you real quickly. An enemy army comes and invades Sodom, and because Lot is living high on the hog in Sodom, he's taken away as a captive along with all his possessions. A really bad day, all right? So here's the lesson I want to draw from this first part of the story about dealing with the world. Keep a safe distance. Keep a safe distance. That's what Abraham did. While Lot moved closer and closer and closer to Sodom, Abraham was moving in the opposite direction, getting closer and closer to God. So the last verse of the chapter, if you're open to Genesis 13, verse 18, reads, So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Keep a safe distance from the world. Now, how do we do that? Let, let me describe how we don't do it, okay? When I was a boy, I grew up in a very, very conservative home and church. And uh, we were taught to keep a safe distance from the world by following a certain list of rules. Here's our, here are the things you're not allowed to do or they'll draw you close to the world. You know, St. Benedict would have been proud of us. Like, what? what? What didn't we do? Well, we didn't go to movies. Okay, so when I, as a boy, when I went to a friend's birthday party and they had cake and presents and then mom said, okay, boys, get in the wagon. We're going we're gonna to go to a Disney movie. I had to head home. So to this day, I have no idea what happened to Bambi. <laughs> and we didn't drink. That was another taboo. And in, in, my, in my family, we took it one step further Okay, this zero alcohol policy, because there were open bars at bowling alleys, we didn't bowl. You know, I am still a terrible bowler. <laughs> and we didn't go to dances. Okay, as the saying goes, we, you know, didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't go with girls who do. We didn't go to dances. And I remember having a difficult time explaining that to my girlfriend at the time when we didn't go to prom. So is this how we keep a safe distance from the world? I don't think so. On the other hand, I, I wonder if we as Christ followers today have moved too far in the opposite direction. We're, we're, we're kind of taking our instructions from Lot's game plan. We're trying to stay as close to the world as possible and still hang on to a relationship with Jesus. And this is the problem Faced by a group of Christ followers to whom the Apostle Paul wrote his second letter of Corinthians. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Corinth was a pretty hip city back in the first century. And some of Paul's converts in that town, they wanted a relationship with Jesus, but they, they also didn't want to give up some of the sinful uh, behaviors and values and priorities of their really cool secular friends. 
And so Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 and 17, he says, hey, we're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. Therefore, okay, because God lives in us and among us, therefore, come out from them. Come out from the world and be separate, says the Lord. So Christ followers are called to be separate. To be separate from the world's sinful values and priorities and behaviors. So how do we avoid drifting toward the world as Lot did? You know, as I pondered this question in preparing my sermon, three words came to mind. I jotted them down on a piece of paper. I want to share them with you just to prime the pump, just to get you thinking. How do we keep from drifting toward the world if we want to remain true to Jesus? First word that came to my mind is the word boundaries. There are some things in life that are not wrong, they're not bad, but to overdo them is bad because they begin to control us. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with having a beer or a glass of wine. You won't, won't find a verse in Scripture that prohibits it. But how much alcohol is too much? Hey, there's nothing wrong with spending a little bit of money on yourself. But, but when does that become selfishness? When does that keep you from giving generously to the Lord's work? Hey, there's nothing wrong with owning a cell phone, nothing wrong with following social media. But how do you know when your cell phone and social media are owning you? When you can't put it down in a meal, during a meal, or all evening long, every time it beeps, you're picking it up. You know, there's nothing wrong with signing your kids up for activity, sports, and music lessons, and, and dance, but when do those activities crowd out family dinner times where people used to sit around the table and talk about what God's doing in their lives? When, when do they begin to crowd out in our kids' lives church activities? You know, nothing wrong with watching a stream and a, a movie on Netflix, but how much garbage will you allow in the movies you watch? So boundaries. Boundary. In what areas of your life do you need to put some boundaries in place because your life doesn't look a whole lot different from the world around you? In what areas of your life do you need to put some boundaries in place? Saying, this much, no more. Here's a second word that came to me. Disciplines. I'm thinking now of spiritual disciplines, things we do to build spiritual strength and stamina so that we could say no to the world's temptations. You know, things like daily Bible reading, you know, joining a community group where you can discuss and apply the Bible to your life, joining with other brothers and sisters in Christ to worship each week, whether you're doing it in person or doing it at home. And if you're doing it at home, staying engaged, not treating it like a movie that you walk in and out of, but staying engaged with this worship service. Spending time in prayer, dedicated time to prayer. See, these are spiritual disciplines that build spiritual muscle. Otherwise, we're, we're like sitting in our canoe drifting down the river toward the waterfall of the world. A disaster lies in front of us, and we need the spiritual muscle to pick up the paddle, turn the canoe around, and paddle furiously upstream against the current. 
So boundaries and disciplines, and I'll give you a third one, stands came to mind. Taking biblical stands on issues that are near and dear to God's heart. Being willing to speak up, because if you don't speak up, you kind of go with the crowd, and you drift downstream toward the world. So do your friends, do the crowd know, know what you stand for? Do they know that you stand for Jesus? Do, do they know that you, you, you stand for racial reconciliation, that you stand for protecting the lives of unborn babies, that you, you stand for other biblical issues? Do they know what you stand against at work? They know that you're not going to shade the truth in order to close a deal and win a customer. You don't do that. Do your friends know that you don't sleep with somebody you're not married to? Do they know that you don't enter into gossipy conversations? Now, you don't need to be obnoxious about these stands, but are we keeping our biblical convictions to ourselves or taking a stand? If we're keeping our mouths shut, we're probably drifting toward the world. So f- first lesson, keep a safe distance. Boundaries, disciplines, stands. Lesson number two, settle the matter of ownership. Settle the matter of ownership. Now back to Genesis We left off the story of Abraham and Lot. Lot had just been taken captive by an enemy army. Uh, Fortunately for Lot, even though he was a knucklehead, he had a, a pretty cool uncle. Uncle Abraham loved him dearly. And so Abraham put together a rescue party, and he tracked down Lot's kidnappers, and he recovered Lot and all his possessions along with some additional booty. But when they got home, something unusual happened. Abraham was approached by a local king of a nearby town called Salem. So we're going to pick up the story now in chapter 14, beginning at verse 18. So here is this king from Salem who comes to see Abraham. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram gave him a tenth of everything, everything being all of the possessions he had recovered, all of the treasures that he had laid his hands on when he had rescued Lot. Now, this is a really significant event. It's only three verses in the book of Genesis, and Melchizedek is not mentioned elsewhere. One verse in the book of Psalms, that's it. Let me tell you a little bit about Melchizedek, though. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. And he's not just a king. He's the priest of the Most High God, meaning he's God's representative. And not only that, he rules over a city called Salem, which is the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. So now, put those pieces together. you got a king of righteousness, God's representative, ruling over peace, the place called peace. Sounds like an Old Testament version of Jesus, doesn't it? which is exactly what the writer of Hebrews says in the New Testament 2,000 years later, Hebrews chapter 7. The writer of Hebrews says Melchizedek pointed to Jesus. Now, I don't want to park on that part of the story. What I want to park on is Abram's response to Melchizedek. End of verse 20. 
says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So this is the first instance of tithing in the Bible. Now, tithing is a, is a theme that runs throughout Scripture that God wants us to bring back to him a portion of our income, you know, starting with a minimal 10%, a tithe. And it's not because God needs our money. It's because this is a declaration of God's ownership in our lives. When we tithe, what we're saying is God owns it all. Everything I have has come from him, and it still belongs to him. It's God's. Now, David did this. You know, years after Abraham, David arrives on the scene. He's Israel's greatest king and decides to build God a royal temple, majestic temple. Now, Solomon, his son, actually does the building, but David collects the resources, the building materials, and he asks all of Israel to give generously, to give over and above their tithes, and the people dig deep, and the people give to the Lord, and David is, <laughs> he's so excited at the whole thing that he calls together a celebration and leads the people in prayer. Listen to David's prayer. This is First Chronicles 29, verse 16. He says, Lord, our God, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. You know, our capacity to give, David says, demonstrates that everything we have has come from your hand and all of it belongs to you. So when we tithe, as Abraham did in Genesis 14, we are recognizing God's ownership of our lives and everything we have. And when we don't tithe, what we're saying is, the world owns me. My possessions own me. My car, my house, you know, my travel plans, that's what owns me. I, I recently got an email from a friend of mine named John, and John wanted to tell me his tithing story. So John came to Christ Community Church 15 years ago, and he says, you know, when I got here, I was a mess. Okay, I'd gone through hip replacement surgery, I'd lost my job, I'd gone through a divorce, and yet as I sat in the auditorium week after week listening to the teaching of God's Word, it was doing something to my heart, so much so that I left every week with tears of joy in my eyes. Along the way, he met a woman and they began to date and they determined that they were going to make Christ the center of their, their lives, the center of their relationship until, until he heard me preach on tithing. John writes in his email, he says, you know, I couldn't even spell tithe back then. But when you talked about giving 10% of my income to the Lord, I said, no way can I do that and still pay my mortgage. But he heard the Holy Spirit say, John, I want you to obey me. I want you to trust me. So he said, okay, Lord, and began to tithe. And you know what happened immediately? He had a rather meager income, and his, his salary was changed to straight commission, and his income plummeted further. <laughs> and he determined, you know, I'm going to obey God anyway. And he did. And he concludes his email with these words. He says, boy, what a difference faith, persistence, and the plan of a mighty God can do. And now many years later, I write monthly tithe checks that are bigger than my gross pay from years ago. God recently materialized a pension I didn't realize I had, so I get to increase my tithe again. Woohoo! With all these blessings, in about three years, our mortgage will be paid off and we'll be debt-free. 
about seven years ahead of plan. John says in his email, I love tithing and now I have great fun giving online. I did not pen these words for him. (laughs) John says, I love tithing and now I have great fun giving online. So how does Abraham teach us to take on the world? Number one, keep a safe distance. Number two, settle the matter of ownership. Your giving will show whether God owns you or the world owns you. Who owns you? Here's a third lesson. Intercede for lost people. So we're going to jump ahead in Abraham's story now to chapter 18. Now, you're going to be reading all these chapters if you follow the Bible-savvy reading schedule. You'll be uh, reading the stuff that we're skipping over as well. And once again, I want to, want to quickly summarize the backstory here. Abraham is sitting outside of his tent one day when three visitors arrive unexpectedly. He's never seen these dudes before. Okay, now later on in the story, we learn that two of the guys are angels, and the third is the Lord himself in human form. So Abraham doesn't find that out till later, and they have come with good news and bad news. The good news is they've come to announce that the baby God had promised Abraham years ago is on his way. Even though Abraham is ancient at this point in time, along with his wife Sarah, and they're still childless, the baby's coming this year. But there was also bad news. God said, the reason I'm here is I've come to check out the city of, uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to see if they're as wicked as I hear them to be, and if they are, I plan to destroy them. This is where we pick up the story Genesis 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that's reached me. And if not, I'll know. The men, the two angels, they turned away and they went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I mean, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and spare, and, and spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Oh, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, I would love to keep reading, but for the sake of time, let me sum up what happens next. Uh, Abraham continues to bargain with God. I mean, as you read it this week, it's one of the most humorous stories you'll find in in the Bible. God says, okay, if there are 50 righteous people in in Sodom, I'll spare it. Abraham says, how about 45? God says, okay, if there are 45 righteous people, I'll spare it. How about 40? He goes, how about 30? How about 20? How about 10? Abraham is interceding with God for lost people. He's interceding with God for a lost world. Remember, there are two ways in which world is depicted in the Bible. On the one hand, the world refers to the sinful values and priorities and behaviors that God wants us to keep a distance from. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. On the other hand, world depicts spiritually lost people for whom Jesus gave his life. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Do we love people who don't have Jesus as God does? Do we love neighbors and co-workers and school buds, extended family? Do, Do we intercede for them? Do we pray for their salvation like Abraham did? Do we build relationships with them that will give us the opportunity to talk to them about the gospel, the good news of Christ? What what is that good news? Well, the good news actually starts with bad news. The bad news is that our sins have separated us from a perfectly holy God. And you don't have to be a Sodom-level sinner to be separated from God. Your garden-variety sins will do it. God is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous. And to be disconnected, to be alienated from God, who is also the source of life, the giver of life, means to forfeit life. The result is death. The penalty of our sins, the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death on the inside, a broken relationship with God. Physical death at the end of our lives. Eternal death in the world to come. Separation from God for all eternity. But God loves us so much. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Now, how did Jesus rescue us? Well, he rescued us by taking the penalty for our sins, by dying the death that we deserve to die. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. And then he was raised from the dead. And he lives today and he, listen, he offers forgiveness and new life that stretches on into eternity for those who will surrender to him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? If you never have, I encourage you, do it today. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior, the King, the leader of my life. And if you've made that decision, the follow-up question is, who do you know in your life? What friends and family members have never surrendered to Christ and they need the forgiveness and new life that he offers? And what are you going to do about it? Will you, like Abraham, begin to intercede for them? Will you share the good news of Christ? You say, I don't know how to do it. So that's why we have our share seminar. In fact, our next share seminar is next Sunday. So Wherever you keep your calendar, whether it's on your phone or you've got a day timer or a piece of paper in your purse, right? just write down Sunday, November 22nd, 1245, right after lunch, you go online. It's an online seminar, especially during this Christmas season where you'll be mixing it up perhaps with some friends and family members. How do you share the good news of Christ? So taking that seminar. And and then don't forget all of the opportunities we're offering, friends, over the next month to connect people you love with the good news of Jesus. So we've got this inspiring stories coming up on December 12 and 13 with uh, Tammy Jo Schultz, this pilot, Navy pilot, Southwest Airlines pilot who miraculously landed, landed this crippled airplane, saving the lives of the people on board. And she's got a She has got a wonderful faith story to tell. So you either invite a friend to come with you if they're bold enough to come to an in-person church service in a pandemic, or you say, here is some, uh, here's a link, here's some connection information that will help you access this story because in the midst of a pandemic, everybody needs a good story. Everybody needs an inspiring story, right? 
And then there's our Christmas Eve services. So write down the dates now and begin to pray for people you'll invite to attend Christmas Eve in person or online. And let me tell you about something else, a deal we got cooking right now, but I need your prayers. And so I'm telling you this for the sake of your prayers. We have an offer from CBS to broadcast our Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve right after the 10 o'clock news throughout the whole Chicago area. Okay, and the contract is supposed to be in the mail, so to speak. It's just waiting for a final signature. Would you pray with us that that deal gets closed? You know, think of the thousands of people we'll be able to reach, and you'll be able to tell your friends, hey, when you're wrapping your gifts late on Christmas Eve, right after the news, watch Christ Community Church's service. And then, of course, there's an opportunity, that year-end gift. I just want to underscore that. People all over the world need the good news of Christ, and they don't have the Bible in, in their heart language. And so we're going to try to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is going to require a tremendous amount of generosity on our part to see the Bible recorded in people's languages so they'll hear the good news about Jesus. Abraham took on the world. Let's join him. Okay, let's, jo- let's take on the world. You get it? Good. Let me pray. Oh, Lord God. The downside of all this pandemic is that it's made us into timid, withdrawn people. We're just sitting around waiting for it all to pass. When when you want us to take on the world, you want us to have a continuing impact as your ambassadors in a dark culture. And so I pray that we would take what we've learned from Abraham, put it into practice in our lives today, that you'd make us generous people that are giving our giving would say, you own it all. And that, that our prayers and our intercession would not be strictly for ourselves, but we would be praying for lost people who need our Savior and King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.